while uh, we're up, uh, someone left Honda keys in a bathroom. I don't know if it was a men's bathroom or a women's bathroom. That would, that would help. But it's in a bathroom. Performance King Honda. They're at the front desk. The keys are at the front desk if you, uh, if you want them. Otherwise, you know, if, if left after 1 o'clock today, then we take the car. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and now you'll keep your keys close at hand. You know, one of the greatest leaders that the Bible talks about committed adultery. And, and then this same individual was a man after God's own heart. He then, after committing adultery, then developed this scheme and committed murder to kill the husband of the woman that he slept with. And, and this, this leader, this great leader, the one who is, who is called a man after God's own heart, considered the greatest king of Israel. He did all of this in the middle of his walk with God. This wasn't like you know, a conversion story before God and after God. This was while he was walking with God. That's the story of the greatest king of Israel, King David. And I want to tell you one of the reasons, I believe the major reason that David fell into such sin and disobedience is because at that stage in his life, he had no spiritual friends. There was no one anothering with him. There was nobody in his life that was encouraging him, correcting him, or loving him towards following the ways of God. And it takes relationships like that. They are a core element that help keep us growing in the ways of God. Relationships with one another where we can speak openly, honestly, and safely about how we are seeking to love God with everything we got. How, how we're pursuing His kingdom above all else. Spiritual relationships, soul friends are absolutely necessary ingredient for the most important part of life, which is our walk with God. David had that kind of relationship in the beginning of his life, but then he lost it and never pursued it and regained it again. And that's what led to such disobedience. I invite you to turn with me or look on the screen to 1 Samuel Chapter 18, uh, verse 1, that begins to tell of David and Jonathan's relationship um, together. That spiritual friendship that was there. Saul, we'll hear here, is the king. Saul is Jonathan's father. So Jonathan is therefore Saul's son. And David is Jonathan's friend at this stage. Let's, Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word that speaks to us of truth. And we ask now that your spirit would help us to to hear from you, to apply in our life, to to shine your light on the things that are good, the things where we are walking with you so that they might continue to be fed. And shine your light on the things that aren't good, ways that we are isolating ourselves, ways that we're, we're not developing relationships as we should, ways we're not being the church that you've called us to be, to help one another, to challenge one another, even to correct one another. Speak to us, for we want to be your church in every way, following in every part of life the ways of Christ. 
In his name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, verse 1. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I mean, true kindred souls here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, who was a Christian in England uh, you know, about 100 years ago, well, maybe a little less. People, kindred souls are people who care about the same truth together. People who care about the same truth together. People who focus on the same journey together. That's what David and Jonathan were. Kindred souls. Pilgrims on a journey together. In a soul-nourishing relationship. And what happened in David's life, he found out early that he was going to be the king. That he was going to take Saul's place. The, the, the prophet Samuel came to him and said, All right, David, you're going to be the king. And David was probably a late teenager when he found this out. Well, you know, so if he had really any ambition to be king, then he was going to be king, then what happened is Saul had to get out of the way. You know, and if Saul was out of the way, then David would be king. So you can imagine, and this happened a lot in the biblical kings, where when one guy wanted to be king, he just off with the head of the guy who was currently the king, and then that made him king. But David refused to take matters into his own hands. Um, throughout First and Second Samuel, you'll, you'll see, um, if you're to read that, you'll see that, that David submits to his king. He refuses to harm God's anointed. Because Saul was God's anointed. Even though Saul was really, well, he sort of messed up. He, he lost it. He was still God's anointed and David refused to harm him. Even though David became a servant of, of Saul, he, he then became his greatest warrior and Saul really lost it then because he was overcome with jealousy. and He went after David. He was threatened by David. So he went after him and tried to kill him, chased him all over the Middle East. And David just stayed on the run. Even with a couple opportunities, David could have easily killed Saul, but he refused. All the temptations were there, the opportunities were there, but he continued to submit to his king. And the reason for that was because Jonathan was his soul mate, was his kindred soul, was the one who walked with him, supported him, encouraged. They corrected each other. I was at uh, Evelyn White's funeral. She was a member of the, the, the church, and she died a couple months ago. We had, had her funeral. And, and at the funeral, this often happens, you know, different people will get up and speak to um, the deceased. And a friend of hers, Robin, I believe her name was, got up and spoke about their relationship. And, and, and Robin said that she and Evelyn were kindred souls. Uh, that they would talk to each other on a weekly basis. And what she said was really a significant time in their relationship. They were, they were friends, but she was uh, listening to a talk by John Townsend, who's a Christian psychiatrist and spiritual director. And, and he said in his talk that everyone who wants to follow Jesus must have a relationship with one other person where they can ask each other, how is it with your soul? 
and then safely listen to one another. That every Christian, anyone who seeks to follow Jesus in this world, needs at least one person where you can safely ask one another, how is it with your soul, and then safely listen. And Robin at the funeral said, that's what Evelyn and I then did. Every time that we talked, that's simply what we asked one another. And then spent an hour or two on the phone in a safe, intimate relationship of sharing their soul with one another. Jonathan David had that kind of kindred soul, that kind of spiritual relationship. Now, tragically, Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle at the same time. It's in the beginning of 2 Samuel. And if you look at 2 Samuel verse one, uh, or chapter 1, verse 25 and 26, you'll see this is David's response when he hears about Saul and Jonathan's death. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Truly kindred souls, sharing of their their deepest longings and dreams and pains and struggles, helping one another to follow after the ways of God. Then, at Jonathan's death and Saul's death, then David lost his his kindred soul, his spiritual friend, and then he became king. And initially, things went really well. But by chapter 11 is when things really took a turn for the worse. If you look at the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 11 of Second Samuel, this is a really telling passage. It was in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, this is very telling because it's right after this we get to the story of David and Bathsheba where he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then when he gets, gets her pregnant, he finds out that she's pregnant. Then he conspires in order to have Uriah murdered. And David's best friend, his right-hand man during all of this is Joab. And Joab should have been Jonathan. And what we see even right here is, what, what does he tell us? This is the season where all kings go out to battle. Well, isn't David a king? Is he out to battle? No. He's taking it easy. He's, he's back in the comforts of his home. All the other warriors are gone. So it's David and a whole bunch of women and children back in Jerusalem. If Jonathan had been here instead of Joab... He would have said, David, what are you doing? Get off your duff. This is where all kings are supposed to be. And you're not. And so what happens because he remains where he's not supposed to be and has only surrounded himself now with yes men or with, with men whose character, and that's really Joab's story, his character is flawed. 
They are not pursuing the same truth together. And Joab just goes along with the ride. And so as David then uh, gets Bathsheba pregnant, he then connects with Joab and says, here's what you do. Uriah is one of the great warriors. I want you just to put him on the front lines, Joab, and then you pull everybody else back and leave Joab on the front. And Joab said, nothing. But he did it. If Jonathan had had been David's right-hand man, he would have said no. You really don't want me to do that. And I know I'm not going to and God's not going to because Jonathan would have truly loved David. It's Proverbs 27.6 says, Well meant are the wounds a friend inflicts, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. David needed a real friend at that stage who would have wounded him in the moment for his own good. David Benner is a Christian author and spiritual director, um, uh, and, and he tells the, the, the story of a friend of his who was just having a hard time at church. You know, he's like, you know, church just isn't doing it for me. And David said, well, why do you still go? And uh, the guy turned back to him and he said, because I'm scared not to. I'm afraid if I stop going, that, that if I stop going to church, I'm going to stop growing spiritually. I mean, even if I get nothing out of the sermon, even if I have trouble encountering God in the rest of the service, church keeps me in touch with others on the spiritual journey. Spiritual growth is just too hard to maintain alone. This guy had the right understanding of church. It's about a community of people who are gathered on a common journey Kindred souls who care about the same truth together. King David, a man after God's own heart, is the perfect example of the absolute necessity of spiritual friendships, of the the need for fellow pilgrims on this journey. But the community of people who are following Jesus should be a safe, and good and expected and normal place to talk about walking with Christ. That's what church, by definition, is. A safe and good and expected and normal place to talk about our life with God together. The ups and the downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the beautiful. You think about in our, our world, that with, with all the ways that we've been talking about, that we can communicate and social media and all the rest. You know, we, we talk about, you get on Facebook, man, politics is all over the place, right? You, you, you hear about stuff about sexting. You know, that people sharing all kinds of things via all kinds of media. You know, so talk about politics, talk about sex, and we can talk about the weather, we can talk about the Bengals, well, maybe not so much. Um, it's the off-season, so let's talk about the Reds. You know, the, we can talk about all kinds of things except Jesus. Why is that so intimidating? I propose to you that is a power of the evil one. If he can keep us isolated, just talking about the weather and other things, then that will keep us from being pilgrims on a journey together and encouraging and supporting one another. I was at the uh, 
We had officer training over the weekend, and, and uh, um, David Welch uh, was, was there and, and talking about a gathering where he had been in with a whole bunch of other real estate folks, and they were talking about health, and they talked about their physical health. They talked about financial health. They talked about their social health, and then they talked about their spiritual health. And he said, a strange quiet fell over the room. Because they could talk about all the others, but when it came to talking about spiritual health, silence. We, as the church, need to to work and do all that's necessary to make it a safe and good and expected and normal to talk about God and our life with God together. Because that's what the purpose of the church is. Relationships that help us stay and deepen in Christ. And and maybe for some of you, you have those relationships. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God in that and continue to feed that flame. And even consider how you might share your story with others. How you might encourage others to, to do the same. And then maybe others of you are saying, no, that's just not, it's not present in my life. Now stop and ask God, you know, help make this happen. If this is such a necessary ingredient to in, engaging in our world and the power of Christ that we need one another, then how can I form those kind of relationships? And it's not with a whole bunch of people with just, like Dr. Townsend said, with just one For, for me, um, as a, a minister in uh, ECO, Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, our denomination, um, we've realized, the, the denomination's realized that's so important for clergy that it's required now. It's part of our rules. And we don't have a big rule book yet. But our, part of the, one of the rules that I have to follow is that I'm in a clergy support, a group of other clergy where we talk to each other about our, our lives in Christ, our lives in our homes and, and at, at church. Because they found, this is another, another thing, this is interesting, this is to build compassion for me. Not really, but it's to tell you a story that, that's true around religion and around clergy. But you know, the, when ECO formed, they started talking to insurance groups. And, and they said, we, we need one insurance group to be our insurer. And they, they talked with the folks and they said, oh, that'll be great. We figure a, a group of pastors, they ought to be really healthy. You know, they ought to be great. They ought to be easy to insure. And, and so they did, did the surveys. And what they found in this uh, particular denomination, which is true for all, is that this group had a higher level, that we pastored a higher level of obesity, a higher level of cholesterol, a higher level of stress than the national average across the board. And it is absolutely necessary then to, uh, if you're following Jesus is your profession, that you have a group of people who will be your Davids and Jonathans in all areas of life. Now, for me, I do have three other pastors, and we get together monthly um, for a couple hours, and then we talk to each other on the phone and get together individually throughout, throughout the week. And it took me, how'd that happen? Well, I had to ask about nine people. And I just chose not to take it personally that six of them said no. You know, that they, and, which is okay if they're too busy. You know, if they had other stuff going on or it just wasn't something they'd, they'd value, I didn't want to be in a group with them. 
You know, and, and God was in control of that part. To say, well, who are the folks where we can be David and Jonathan's to one another? I do the same thing at weddings now, too. You know, when the, the couple is up here and they're standing here and everybody's ooey-gooey and all the rest and, you know, I'm talking to them a little bit. Then I stop. I step aside from talking to them and I talk to everybody else that's gathered at the wedding. And I say, I'm glad you're here. You're here for a party, you know, free booze afterwards and food and dancing. That's going to be awesome and that's great. But I'm glad that that's going to be fun. That's not the reason you're here. You're here because you are to be David and Jonathan to these two. You're here because if you see them looking the wrong way, in the wrong manner, you hear them talking in ways that is not fulfilling the promises they're making, then it's your job to knock them upside the head and say, Hey, I was there when you made that promise, and you're not fulfilling it. Just come to the next wedding if you don't believe me. Because it's absolutely necessary, our relationships with one another. And we're about to have a baptism. And, and Mira's going to come up here. And Allison and Ray and the girls are going to come up here. And then you're going to be making a promise to say, you know, this is too hard to do alone. So we're here with you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to help you and support you. And we're, we're going to tell you no. And that's really not a good idea. And when it's a good idea, we're going to try to defeat. Those are the promises that we're making at this baptism and that you've made at every baptism. Because we know that's what the church is supposed to be, a relationship of kindred souls who care about the same truth together, who are on a journey together to follow after the ways of God. You'll be hearing a little more about this in the next several weeks, but uh, starting in, in January, we're, we're going to um, have con- continue in the things that we've been doing in the middle hour, where we had small groups growing, and just just and that, you know that's not a place where you're going to become kindred souls like David and Jonathan right off the bat. I mean, you could, God could orchestrate that, but it doesn't usually happen that way. But it's at least a place where, in a, a safe the place we're trying to say this is normal this is expected this is good this is what the church is supposed to be that we get together and we talk about our relationship with god and that's not weird that's not intimidating that's not scary it's normal expected and good and so to continue that in some different ways with different small groups we'll also do um, something called missional communities And again, you'll be hearing more about uh, that. But that's about groups of people, 20 to 40 people in size. They're going to gather on a monthly basis in somebody's home. They'll share food, share prayer, share life with each other. Have a, a good, safe, normal, expected place in order to talk about walking with God together and to be unified particularly around one element of mission. One, for example, there's going to be one missional community that will be around orphan care. Just that's some folks' heart and minds. They've already been meeting together in the small groups, and they're going to form that missional community around that for that foreseeable future. And if they get to be more than 40 people, then they need to break into two of them. Because these missional communities, they, they need to be Small enough to care and large enough to dare. 
And that's what they're going to be about. So you'll be hearing more about that and different options. And maybe the Lord's starting to plant within you a seed of a particular mission that you want to consider developing a missional community um, around. But you'll be hearing more about that in the next uh, several weeks. But through all of this, our prayer and our pursuit is that we will be the church that God's created the church to be. Where in our relationships, it is safe, it is expected, it is normal, it is good to support, challenge, and correct one another in the most important relationship we have, in our relationship with Jesus. Amen.